Please open your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Today we're going to be looking at, we're going to be reading through the account of Lazarus, his death, and spoiler alert, his resurrection. Um, sorry to give it away to you guys, but I think most of you are aware of the story. Most of you guys have heard this, you've been through it before, um, and, and you know what's coming. And that's interesting. That's, we get that perspective. And that's an important part of what we're going to talk about today, of course, is perspective. But it's important for us to realize what the benefit that we get being believers 2,000 years removed away from this situation is that we do get a wonderful perspective, a wonderful um, understanding of this section of Scripture because we know the story from beginning to end. And so that's what we're going we're gonna to look at um, this morning. It's, it's not an easy section of scripture to go to because it deals with something that is, um, it's very poignant to each of us. This is a section of scripture that deals with pain and loss and hurt and heartache in contrast to a very good and gracious and loving God. And that's hard. That's sometimes hard for us to understand. It's, it's hard for us to reconcile why such a good God to us, such a gracious God to us, would allow such hurting in our lives. Why does he allow bad things to happen to us? Why does he allow death? Why does he allow heartbreak? And we've all been through that. I mean, even in our own church family over the last year, we've lost several dear brothers and sisters. And it's been heartbreaking. And, and it's, been, it's been difficult to go through the mourning process again and again and again. Many of you have experienced heartbreak from broken relationships. Perhaps within your family, you know, families that don't speak to each other anymore. Children who, who go prodigal, they walk away. Or parents who go off the rails at times. And, or maybe it was that person, that one special someone that you had given so much of your life and so much of your heart to. And they're no longer a part of your life. And that's difficult too. You know, one of the things about about dealing with, you know, broken relationships and heartache is, is that it, in so many ways it really is like the death of a loved one because that person that you, <laughs> that you poured so much of your life into is now they're gone from your life. And so you are in so many ways with a broken heart, you're mourning that person, their loss. But not only that, the other difficult things about life, I mean, let's just face it, we live in a fallen world and there are so many negative, difficult, evil things that happen to us, things that we even cannot control. Why does God allow that? Why does God allow sickness to happen? Sickness and illness, do you understand? I mean, when you think about it for a moment here, the last year of chaos that we have lived through is due to an illness? Our cultural upheaval, our, our political mess, the, the society, the societal problems that we're experiencing now, many of them do in large part to an illness, right? 
And of course, the evil, the evil things that happen that you cannot control, that you never asked for. The, the choices, the free will choices that another person made that have affected your life in a negative or harmful way. You never asked for that. Nobody asks for that drunk driver to be on the road at that time. Or for that person to say those horrible, hurtful things to you or even worse, about you. Why do we experience these things? Why are we allowed to go through these things? What, <laughs> what's the deal? Pain is a natural part of life. And not just the physical, but, but also the emotional side of life as well. The things that we go through and the things, the things that, that we, you know, ask people for prayer for. But, but even worse, sometimes the things that we don't even have words to, to put to, to those feelings or to those emotions. I don't know how to express this to you. C.S. Lewis says, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is also more common and also more difficult to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal your mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say, my tooth is aching, than it is to say, my heart is broken. We've all been there, right? I mean, that's unfortunately a fact of life. It's a truth of life that we have all mourned, we have all cried, we have all hurt and been hurt. We've all experienced things that were unjust or unfair in life. Why? John chapter 11 is 57 verses long. I'm not going to ask you to read all of that with me. Uh, but if you are able, would you please stand? We're going to read verses 17 through 26. I really feel like that's the thrust of what we'll be talking about this morning. And so, again, if you're able, if you can stand as we read and give reverence to the Word of God. John chapter 11, verse 17 says... So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been dead in the tomb four days, that is Lazarus. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live and whoever lives, or whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, help us to understand this. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us wisdom and that you would teach us right now. And also that you would comfort us as we consider, Lord, the, the difficult things in life. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated.
right before we get into chapter 11. It's important to understand a little bit of context about what's happening in the life of Jesus and in the life of his disciples. You see, they had been in Jerusalem, and great things had been happening. Jesus had been doing some great teaching, a lot of great um, you know, uh, uh, proverbs come out of here, a lot of great uh, um, uh, uh, wisdom, good theology comes out of, of what Jesus does there in chapters 9 and 10. But then what happens is, because of the great things that Jesus was saying, because of the wonderful things that Jesus was doing, the Jews, the Pharisees there within Jerusalem, they were tired of it. And they were ready, they were honestly offended by the things that Jesus said. And so they were ready to kill him. At the end of verse, or at the end of, excuse me, chapter 10, they pick up stones and they're ready to throw them at Jesus until he is dead. And so Jesus and his disciples, they get out of town. They leave and they go off out into the wilderness. They actually go to the River Jordan where John the Baptist had been baptizing. And so that's where they're at. They're camping out. They're hanging out away from Jerusalem, away from the city. But Lazarus and his sisters, they live in Bethany, which, as we just read, is just, it's two miles from Jerusalem. It's a suburb. It's right next door. Now, that's important to remember as we get into this story, because we're going to see not, not only from our perspective, again, being outside, knowing how everything goes, but we're also going to see things from the disciples' perspective, which will be important for us to understand. So let's begin at the beginning. Verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in that place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. The disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Gotta love Thomas. He's the sarcastic one. All right, so the story is set. Here we are. Jesus and his disciples, they're out in the wilderness. Meanwhile, Lazarus uh, and his sisters are in Bethany, and Lazarus falls sick. And Martha, Martha sends word to Jesus because she cares. 
because she cares. And you guys know how this is. When, when something happens or something's going on in your life or the life of a loved one and, and you want to pray because you know that prayer works and you know that it's important, but this is like a big one. And so you want others to pray too. So, so you start sending in your prayer requests, you know, like shoot this out to the whole church, please, right? We need everyone praying for this. And it, there's just that urgency within her heart. So she reaches out, she sends word to Jesus. She says in verse 3, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And so Jesus hears this message. The disciples hear all of this too. Verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And so if you're a disciple... If you're one of Jesus' followers and you're sitting out there along the side of the river or in the dirt or at the campfire or wherever, and this messenger comes and says, hey, Lazarus is sick, and Jesus simply, Jesus simply says, oh, his sickness is not unto death. It's like, oh, okay. Okay, cool. All right, man, poor guy. But then Jesus says, it's for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And the disciples must be wondering, at least I would be wondering, how is that going to glorify you, Jesus? How does that give glory to God? There's nothing glorious about being sick. It's kind of gross, right? How is this going to bring glory to you? In fact, it says that he stayed for two more days. He didn't jump up off the ground or, or out of his tent, and he didn't you know, pack up his things and immediately start going. So the disciples don't see any urgency here from Jesus. But then two days later, he says, let's go to Judea again. And by this point, the, the disciples are saying, hey, lately, don't forget, don't, don't you remember that the Jews are ready to stone you? The Jews are ready to kill you? Why are you going to go there again? Remember, from their perspective, from what they know, Lazarus is going to be okay and... There's a warrant out for Jesus' death. Why would we go there? Well, he'll get better. We'll be safe out here. It doesn't make any sense. But Jesus answers them in verses um, 9 and 10. And he says, you know, there's 12 hours in a day. And if anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light. But if one walks in the night, then he stumbles because the light is not on him. Now, there's two things going on here. The first of all, it's a very practical saying, a very practical illustration. He's like, you know, there's 12 hours in a day. In other words, there's a certain amount of time you have to get your work done, and I've got work to do. Night's going to fall. Jesus knows his time is almost up. So he says, hey, I've got to do this. There's only 12 hours in a day, right? There's only so much time to get things done. But then the other thing that I see here. The, the other, you know, sort of uh, applicable thing, at least to me in my life, is that sometimes the Lord calls me to do things or the Lord shows me things, or sometimes God begins to do things in my life that doesn't make sense to me, that I don't understand. Why would we go back there? <laughs> Why would we do that? I thought you said he was going to be fine. I thought you said, God, that this would happen. I thought, Lord, that you said that things would work out this way. Why are we, this doesn't make sense to me, Lord. Sometimes it's like I can see things clearly, and sometimes it's like things are so dark I don't understand. Things, it's like the sun has set, and now things are dark, and I don't really get what you're doing. I don't really know where we're going here, Lord. I, I often, when I 
you know, go home, the quickest way for me to go is usually just take Black Canyon Highway out to Plaza Bridge and then over there. Well, anyways, as you're going down the bench right there, many of you guys know this, um, if you're going at night, you better put your lights on, you better put your high beams on because the deer just love to hang out in that spot right there. And I don't know how many times I've had to slam on my brakes because those guys, like, they hang out right next to the road and they play chicken. You know, they're like, here comes one, you know, and they're just like ready to jump out, you know. They think it's the greatest thing ever. But I can only see so far. And that's why going through that section of the road, I have to slow down. I, I want to see as far as I, I want to try and figure because I don't know what's happening. During the day, like sometimes things are clear to me, but then during the nighttime, man, sometimes things are confusing to me. Sometimes things even see a little bit, seem a little bit scary. But then he says, he says to them in verse 11, he says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go to wake him up. And the disciples are thinking, why? Let him sleep. It's good for him. He'll heal. And we know that to be true, right? When you're sick, you go to the doctor, you need some medication or whatever. And what does the doctor always say? Well, you need to stay home and rest. You need to get some rest. You need to get some good sleep, right? Well, listen, if you just read your Bible, you'd save yourself a trip to the doctor. You need sleep when you're sick. That's when our bodies recover and regenerate and heal, and we know all that, right? Now, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. Go to the doctor if you have to go to the doctor, whatever it is. But the disciples, even 2,000 years ago, they understood this principle. Hey, guess what? We get better when we get sleep, right? And so they're like, Jesus, why would you go wake him up? Let's let him sleep. That doesn't make sense. We're going to take a trip into the heart of persecution just so that we can wake up a guy who needs rest. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Do you see how confused the disciples are? Do you see the big contrast between our perspective, knowing how things are going to work out, and their perspective, living through this, not knowing how things are going to work out? not even really being sure about what's going on. None of this makes sense to them. Lazarus is not sick unto death, Jesus said. And he's sleeping. Why are we going to put our lives at risk then? What's the whole point of that? Even Thomas would say, sure, yeah, we're all going to go. Why don't we all just go die? It doesn't make sense to them. They're confused. And, and oftentimes, I am like the disciples. When I am living life, when I am going through things in the moment, oftentimes, I am confused. I don't understand why God would call me to this. I don't understand why God would make these circumstances happen. I don't get what the Lord is doing in my life. And I am utterly confused. And sometimes I can even get a little bit of sarcastic about what God's doing in my life. Okay, God, just whatever, you know. But here's the thing, and here's what's really beautiful. The disciples have such a relationship with Jesus such an open and honest relationship with Jesus that they begin to speak openly and they begin to ask honest questions. Why would we go there? They want to kill us. If he's sleeping, why not let him sleep so he can get better? 
And even Thomas, even Thomas has the openness to say to his disciples, his friends, we're all going to die. I feel like we're all going to die. There's something beautiful that happens when you communicate, when you pray to the Lord in a very open and very honest way. There's something incredible that happens when, when we take our concerns, our confusion, and even our questions, and we give them to the Lord openly and honestly. You know it's okay to be confused when you go into prayer? Do you know it's okay to have questions or to have doubt when you go into, into the Lord and to seek the Lord in prayer? Yeah, he wants that. He wants that openness. He wants that, that real, raw communication with you. That is so important. And what happens? How, what does Jesus do? How does he answer their question? Look at verse 14. What, is, what does Jesus do when they come at him with very simple, very real, very honest questions and confusion? How does he answer them? In verse 14, Jesus said to them, Plainly. Plainly. In other words, if we're willing to humbly admit to our Lord that we don't get what's going on, He will speak very plainly to you. He will meet you at your level. If you're honest and you're humble, even if you're confused, even if you don't get it, even if it sounds crazy or illogical or dangerous, if we are open enough to speak to our Lord about that, He will meet us very, He will meet us at our level and speak to us very plainly and in a very real way. Jesus spoke to them plainly and said, Lazarus is dead. And honestly, there have been times in my life where, where I have prayed this, this, this certain kind of prayer. And I probably should pray it more often, but there are times in my life where I have prayed and I have said, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. I feel like I have been stuffing my homework down at the bottom of my backpack. I feel like I've been skipping studying and now I'm failing this test, Lord. I feel like I should know what's going on, like I should be in better communication. I should be able to hear from you right now, Lord, but I don't. I don't understand what's happening, Lord, so please speak plainly to me. Make it simple for me, Lord. And you know what? He has always been faithful to do that. I can, I can share that testimony with you honestly. God has always been faithful to do that. When I humbly admit to him that I don't get it, he has always been faithful to answer me plainly. Now, I may not always like the answer. <laughs> That's for sure. Lazarus is dead. What? The disciples knew Lazarus. They spent time in his home. They walked with him, talked with him. They ate with him. They knew Lazarus. And Jesus told them that Lazarus was not sick unto death and that Lazarus was only sleeping. And now, bombshell, Lazarus is dead. And verse 15, and I'm glad. What? I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Jesus very openly reveals to them 
the purpose for all of this confusion, the purpose for all of this hurt, the purpose for all of this pain, for all of this suffering, for all of the sadness, for all of the mourning, for all of the heartbreak, it's so that you might believe. Gang, the reason that we go through difficult stuff, the reason that we go through things that are heartbreaking, the reason that we have so much pain in our lives or, or things that we don't even invite the evil into our lives, the, the reason that we go through hard things is because His purpose is that we might believe. And you say, but I already believe. Oh, but do you? But do you? Let's look at this. He says, nevertheless, let us go. Thomas, you know, shoots off his mouth. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. This is pretty common in this culture. At this time, you see the mourning process at a, at a death or when something tragic happened. The mourning process for the Jews at this time in history and in their culture was that, that the, the mourning could go on for sometimes weeks, right? We have a service or two, and, and, then, and then we kind of move on from that, but not, not them, not what they would do. You see, there's something interesting about the way that their culture understood the way that the human, um, the way the human emotions work is that uh, it's, it's important for us to embrace and understand and express our emotions. They understood that. And so uh, this process of, of mourning to them, like I said, it wasn't just a day or two. It would take a week or possibly two weeks where people would gather together with the, the loved ones who lost that person and they would just stay with them, hang out with them, cry with them and, and weep and wail with them. And that's a beautiful thing. But here's what happened. Here's what it had turned into. You see, these, the people who were with them, they were the Jews from Jerusalem, those same Jews who had been persecuting Jesus, who were looking to have him killed. And now they hear that Lazarus is dead, one of Jesus' followers. And there's Martha and Mary. And they're sad, they're heartbroken. And so they come to comfort them. They come to comfort, to mourn with them. But is that really their motivation? Or are they waiting for Jesus to show up? Just days ago, they had rock. They had stones in their hands. And now they have tissues. Oh, I'm so sorry for you. I'm sorry for your loss. You called Jesus, right? Verse 20, now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. I love this because if you know anything about Martha and Mary, if, you've, if you're familiar with the stories from earlier in the gospel, you know that these are two very different gals. I mean, they're sisters, but their personalities could not be more different, right? Jesus was at their house one time and he was, he was teaching. He was giving a study basically, right? And, and his disciples were there and lots of people were there. And they're all kind of crowding in the living room there and perhaps even outside trying to hear. And, and Martha is in the kitchen and she's trying to figure out how to feed all these people. She's like, oh my goodness, I don't even have enough, you know, this or that or whatever. And she's working and she's cooking and she's burning her hand on stuff. And she's trying to wash off a dish so she can put more food on it. And she's just busy about things. And then there's her sister Mary, 
who's just sitting there, the slacker, just <laughs> sitting there at Jesus' feet. And so Martha gets so upset about that, she bursts in the room. She's like, Lord, make her come help me. And Jesus says, no, it's more needful. This is more ne the more needful thing. Martha, you come and you sit down here, right? Two very, very different people. And maybe you feel like, maybe you're more like a Martha, where when stuff gets difficult, when things get stressful, you just got to do stuff, right? You're just like, I just got to be busy about something. I'm just going to work on this. I'm going to make this or keep this going or whatever. Or maybe, maybe you're a person, maybe you're more like Mary. Where when things get difficult, when things get stressful, when things get a little bit crazy, you're just like, I'm going to sit. I'm going to just sit down. And there's nothing wrong with either one of those things as long as we understand the proper place for those things, right? That's essentially what Jesus had told Martha back then. Hey, what's more needful right now, Martha, is that you be, you be here. And so in this situation, Jesus is coming. Martha finds that out. And so she gets up and she goes. But Mary stays sitting. Now, two reasons that this could be working out this way. One reason is that, well, this is just their differences in personality, right? Mary wants to go and get Jesus. She wants to get answers from him, right? And Mary is just hanging out. <laughs> this is just her natural response, right? Possibly, possibly that's just what's going on here. But the other thing that could be going on here is that Martha and Mary know that the crowd of Jews that are in their house have been hostile toward Jesus. And so... If they were to say that Jesus is coming, then they might prepare for Jesus. They might be getting ready to, they may plot to kill Jesus. So, Mary, or so Martha leaves, but Mary decides to stay and continue mourning so that the mourners, the Jews, will stay there and mourn with her. Which is right? I don't know. You guys can argue about that after service. Verse 21, now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, this is beautiful here. Martha meets Jesus, and she does exactly what I just encouraged you guys to do in the previous section. She's very open. She's very honest about her emotions about her feelings toward Jesus, but she does it reverently. Lord, if you'd only been here, then my brother would not have died. It's almost accusative. And yet she says, but, but I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She's very open. She's very honest. She shares her true feelings with Jesus. And yet, and yet, she maintains a reverence for who he is. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And Martha, she's perhaps rolling her eyes. Martha, she's a good theologian. She's a good student of the word of God. She says, yes, I know that. I know that there's a resurrection coming and we'll all rise again and we'll all go to be with God. And, and she says, I know that in the last days he's going to rise again. And Jesus says, no, Martha, I am the resurrection. What? And the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 
and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. If the hurt that you're experiencing, if the pain that you're going through right now is because you've lost someone, because, because someone that you love dearly has died, remember this, that believers, Christians, never die. Christians never truly die. Some say they, they graduate. Some say they simply they pass on. They step into the next world. And I love that. I love those, I love those terms. I love those ideas because they're all true. There's no death for the believer. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that there is something better waiting for you? Do you believe that the person that you lost is now more alive than they have ever been? Do you believe that the pain and the suffering and the heartbreak and the sorrow is only for this time on earth and for all of the rest of eternity? We will experience joy and glory. Do you believe this? Living out here, and you've heard me say this before, but living out here, you know, it's, there's so many fences, these, these barbed wire fences that just, they go on forever, right? Or the, or the power lines, you know, they're up there and they just go over the hills and they go as far as you can see. And I love to think about life in that way. How life, our life, it just extends. It just goes on forever. As far as you can follow that fence, as far as you can see that power line go, our life, it also goes on and on and on forever. And yet, our time on earth is but one barb on that wire. That one little point in contrast to eternity. And now, do you see how even if we have 60, 70, 80, 90 years of difficulty on this, in this life, that there is still immensely more of eternity of glory awaiting us? And do you understand that now this time on earth is the only chance that we get to suffer? It's the only chance we get to suffer, to experience these emotions, to experience pain, to experience loss, to experience heartache and heartbreak. This is all that we get because forever, forever will be glorious. And I know that it hurts to lose that person, but would you really call them back from streets of gold to bring them back here? Would you really ask them back from glory and bring them, bring them back to this fallen world? Would you really ask that? Absolutely not. The believer never really dies. 
but do you believe this? And her answer to him, verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but he was in the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and she went out, they followed her saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus again groaned in himself, came to the tomb. And it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said to Martha, Do you believe? Do you believe that believers never die? Do you believe that believers will live again? Do you believe? And her answer to him is a confession of faith. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Good girl, Martha. Wonderful. Man, she's, she's great. Her answer to him is a confession of faith. Isn't that interesting? Because didn't he tell the disciples that the whole purpose for all of this hurting and death was for what in verse 14? Why was, it, why was all this happening? So that they may believe. So that they might believe. So that their faith would grow so that their faith would deepen. And when he talks to Martha about all of this and says, don't you know, don't you understand? Do you believe that believers never die? And her answer is a confession of faith. Yes. And you're the Lord. You're the master. You're the Christ. You're the son of God. And you have come into this world. Her answer to him is a confession of faith. It's already God's purposes, his purposes in her life are already accomplishing themselves. Now she goes and she calls to Mary. She comes to Mary and she says, and this is beautiful, the teacher is calling for you. And I love this because no matter which kind of person you are, whether you're a busybody like Martha and, and that's just how you deal with stuff is to stay busy, or whether you're a slacker like me and Mary, and you just, do, you just are, are just content to do nothing. Whether you're running to meet Jesus on the road, or whether you're sitting at home, Jesus is calling you too. Jesus is calling you too. He's calling for you, Mary. He's asking for you. And so Mary gets up and she leaves that place. And the Jews that were with her in the house in verse 31, it tells us that as she's leaving, 
and she's leaving quickly, they're thinking to themselves, oh, oh, we're uh, moving the morning uh, marathon. We're going to take it over to the tomb. Now, it's, this is turning into a graveside thing. So they're like getting packed up. They're, you know, packing extra Kleenex and some snacks for later. And they're going to go thinking that we're just going to continue this, this weeping over at the tomb. And so they follow her out there, only instead of going toward the tomb, Mary takes off and she starts heading down the road. And when she comes to Jesus, she just falls down at his feet. She is so broken. She's, she's hurting. And she's brokenhearted. And yet Jesus called to her, and so she answers, and she comes to him, and she just collapses at his feet. And gang, there is no better way to come to Jesus. There's no better way to come to Jesus than in just in your exhaustion and in your emotional brokenness and in your heartache and in your loss just to come and just to fall down at his feet. There's no better way. And she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so verse 33, he sees her weeping. And then the Jews who came with her were weeping. And then he groans in his spirit and says that he was troubled. Jesus was troubled. Je Jesus was troubled. He's groaning. Why? Is it because he, he, he's brokenhearted for Mary? I'm sure that he is, and we'll see why in just a moment. But I think his trouble, I think the groaning is something different because verse 38 tells us, well, verse 37 tells us that a lot of those Jews who came with Mary, while they're weeping, they're also asking to each other, if he's such a great healer, if he's such a miracle worker, why didn't he save Lazarus? And this causes Jesus in verse 38, to groan again. The first time he groans and he's troubled, I believe, it's because Jesus sees very real, very honest um, uh, weeping from Mary, as well as a show from these mourners. This whole group who were gathered there just to say the right thing, just to do the right thing, just to hang out and just to wait for an opportunity. I think he sees the contrast there. I think he sees their hypocrisy, especially in their whispering words amongst each other, and this causes Jesus trouble. And this causes Jesus to groan within his spirit. But how does Jesus respond to Mary, and how does Jesus respond to the situation? He said, where did you lay him? And they said to him, come and see. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. And in verse 36, the Jews said, even the Jews noticed this. The Jews said, see how he loved him. Now this is big right here. I need you all to get this if you don't get anything else today. Whatever you are going through, no matter what kind of pain you are experiencing or heartbreak you're feeling, no matter how much loss you have experienced or have gone through in your life recently or way back in your past, you need to know this right here. Jesus loves you.
He loves you. Go back to the beginning of the chapter. In the first five verses, we are told that Jesus loves Lazarus, Mary, and Martha twice. In just the first five verses, in verse 3, Martha's message, Behold, whom he, he whom you love is sick. And then verse 5, John, the author here, he is very, very faithful to point out to everyone for all time and all eternity that Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. And even in the midst of your hurting and your darkness and your chaos and your heartbreak and your confusion, Jesus loves you. Don't forget that. Especially when you're surrounded, perhaps, by people who are just saying the right thing, doing the right thing, when you're surrounded by hypocrites or pain. Jesus loves you. Because the enemy will tell you a lie. The enemy will whisper into your ear, if he loves you, then why? Or this thing happened because he doesn't love you. But thankfully, John, young John, is very, very faithful to record and to show us, to remind us that Jesus loves. Jesus loves you. Even in your pain and in your hurt. Even in the difficulties and in the confusion. Jesus loves you. And he is willing to show it openly. Verse 39. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he who had died came out, bound hound and hand and foot with grave cloths. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. This is miraculous. This is incredible. But it starts with, with, a, with a principle here that's very important for us to confess. In verse 38, Jesus comes to the tomb. A cave. A hole in the ground. And there's a stone laid against it. And isn't that where we bury our hurt? Isn't that where we put our heartbreak? Isn't that where we bury our pain and our stress and the most difficult moments that we've ever gone through? Isn't that what we do is we, 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 we hide them away in some deep, dark hole in our heart, and we roll a stone in front of it, and we say, never again. And Jesus says, take me there. What? Jesus says, take me there. And then Jesus says, take away the stone. 
No. No. That's buried there for a reason. No, that, I put that in there for a reason, Jesus. And Jesus says, move that stone. Now, Martha says in verse 39, and this is kind of funny if you're reading the, New, the, the King James Version, but Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> I'm going to write that on the door of my boy's room. You know, what I, if you have boys, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Ooh, he stinketh. <laughs> Oh, but here's the, here's the principle, here's the truth about this. And this is why, again, I love the Bible because it's very real. It's not a fairy tale. The guy's been dead for four days. What does that look like? What does that smell like? Four days of decay. Four days, rigor mortis has set in. Four days, uh, gases within the body are building up in the body cavity. For four days, putrefaction begins. Now, I'm not going to go any further, but I will challenge you to do this. What I want you to do when you go home is take out some meat for Thursday's dinner and leave it on your countertop. Just leave it there and see what happens by Thursday if it's still appetizing to you. You still want to eat those steaks? Yeah. Four days in the desert, he's been in the tomb. Roll the stone away. Lord, no. No, Lord, there is death in there. No, Lord, it's dark and it's dirty and it's disgusting in there. And he wants, he wants access. More importantly, he wants to speak into the deepest, darkest parts of your heart. He wants to speak life into the death and the hurt that you have buried away. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And his words, the word of God, brings forth new life. Roll that stone away. Gang, it's going to take faith to do that. He says, move that stone. And she says, no. And his answer to her is, didn't I say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? In other words, do you believe that I have a glorious ending involved for this? Do you believe that I'm not just going to make things okay again? I'm not just going to make things better again. I am going to make things glorious through this. It's going to take faith. You have to believe if you and I are going to pry that stone away from that deep, dark cave in our hearts and allow Jesus and his word to speak into the death that we hide away. It's going to take faith. But again, that's the purpose for all of this. Remember? I'm glad Lazarus is dead and I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there, so that you may believe. Guys, he is working all things together for good to those who are called according to his purposes. Even the hard things, the difficult things, the heartbreaking things, he has a purpose and he has a plan for them in your life. And he wants to breathe new life into the parts of your past that have died.
into the things that are broken and hurting right now in your heart. But it takes faith to move that stone away and to give him access. And not only that, it takes cooperation. What happens when Lazarus comes out? I mean, he's, he's alive again. I mean, all, he was like laying there, and the next thing you know, it's like, you know? And have you ever thrown a blanket over your kid and just watch him kind of like struggle around the room, you know? You ever turn him into a kid burrito? You ever done that? Don't act like you haven't. I'm not the only one. That's not child abuse, is it? Where they're just kind of like wiggling around, you know? I mean, he's wrapped up in grave clothes, you know? And Jesus, and everyone's like shocked, right? And as well they should be. Everyone's in shock, and they're just like wide-eyed. And Jesus reminds them, he tells them, hey, go help him. He's all bound up, and his face is, you know? Go help him. Hey, gang. Jesus is working inside the hearts of people sitting right next to you. And he is breathing new life into the, the dead parts of their past. Go help them. That's what we're here for. That's why we are to, we're in this together. That's why the church is a body of believers. Because you're not going through this alone. God put people around you to help you. Let them help you. Now, something, something else is, is important for us to understand here. I'm not going to spend too much time on this for the sake of, of time. But there's something important I want us to understand because it's going to really apply over the next few weeks. Before Jesus calls out Lazarus, he takes an opportunity to pray out loud to God in the presence of everyone that's there. And he says to God, I know that you hear me. I thank you that you always hear me. And he says, I said this that they may believe that you sent me because of the people that are standing here right now. In other words, Jesus, before he works this miracle, he wants them to know that he is calling upon God for the power, the strength, the authority to do this. Why? Why is that important? Because these Jews have accused in the past, even very recently, they've accused Jesus of being possessed by a demon. Because he's working all of these miracles. He's doing all these incredible things. He's walking on water. He's feeding the thousands. He's healing the blind, the sick, and the lame. Well, he's doing that by the power of Satan. Ooh. Whoa. Whoa. And so Jesus right here, takes this opportunity to be very, very open and very, very honest with everyone. And he prays to God and he says, you do this so that they can believe, so that they will understand that you sent me. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. Verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the, Jesus, the things that Jesus did, believed in him. Many of the Jews. Verse 46, But some of them, there's always a few, went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. And then the chief priests and Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. 
If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Wait, what? What is this? Okay, so here's what's important to remember. Israel at the time is under occupation. Rome is in charge. They moved in, they conquered, and they were gracious enough to let the Israelites have their own sort of government. But it was really just a puppet government, and Rome was still pulling the strings. But the Jews were at least thankful that they had some kind of representation there. And now, if Jesus is the Messiah... He doesn't look like the Messiah they've been waiting for. He doesn't talk like the Messiah they've been waiting for. And he doesn't act like the Messiah they've been waiting for. You see, they wanted a Messiah who would raise up an army, who would ride into Jerusalem, who would defeat Rome, kick them out, and make Israel great again. That's what they wanted out of a Messiah. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was humble. He was meek. He was loving. He would teach with authority, and then he would go to the broken, the beggars, the blind. And so they're afraid that if he's our Messiah, if we call him our king, then Rome's not going to like that at all. They're not going to accept that. They're not going to be okay with that. And they're going to come in and they're going to squash us. And Jesus isn't going to do anything about that because Jesus has already said, render to Caesar that which is Caesar. So he obviously isn't trying to overthrow their government. If we embrace this guy as our king, then Rome will squash us. That's what they're afraid of. Verse 49. And one of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest this year, said to them, and this is great, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation, not, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only for the nation, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. This is wonderful because Caiaphas here thinks that he's answering their problem. He thinks that he's found a solution to what they're afraid of. He's simply saying, well, yeah, yeah we got to kill this guy we got to kill this guy in order to save our nation. And so that's what he's saying, but he doesn't even know what he's saying because the Holy Spirit is prophesying through him that, yeah, it is important that one would die to save the nation, but not just the nation, the whole world. This is super cool. And John saw it. John catches that. And he's like, and Caiaphas said this, but he didn't get it. And he was actually saying this, and it's amazing. And then John is just like, he's stoked as he's writing this, you know. But Caiaphas didn't understand. He didn't even know what he was saying. It's so powerful, so incredible the way that God works. Verse 53, Then from that day on they plotted to put him to death. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but he went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. And there he remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near. And many went before the country... Uh, 
went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. This sets into motion the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This moment right here, this is the time where they made the decision where the high priest says, yes, he must die. And from this moment on, things will get a lot worse for Jesus. But back to the point of what we were looking at today. Is there a dark part in your heart where you've stuffed pain and heartache and sorrow? And you rolled a big heavy stone in front of it because you didn't want to deal with that death and that hurting anymore. Jesus wants in there. And he wants to speak life into that darkness, into that death, into that sorrow. He wants to do something miraculous in your life. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? I encourage you. As we enter into this time of communion and worship, I encourage you, roll that stone away. By faith, open up that tomb. Let it out to Jesus. Invite Jesus in and say, please, please, this is my hurt. This is my heartache. I buried it away days ago, months ago, years ago. I buried this away. And Lord, I want you, I want you to do a miracle in my life. And he will. Speak plainly to him. Speak openly and honestly to him, and he'll speak plainly to you. Be real with Jesus. That's what he wants from you. He wants to bring new life about into your life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you, in this section of Scripture, prove that you have authority over death. And that your authority comes from your Father. And that you are who you say you are. And thank you for challenging us, Lord. Because, yes, of course we believe you, Lord. But now this is an opportunity for us to take our faith even deeper. For belief to go even deeper. So, Lord, we just want to offer up to you we, as we, in our hearts, we just roll that stone away. With effort, with tears, with pain, Lord, we just roll that stone away. We open up to you right now, and God, would you please speak into the dark things in our life, the hidden away things of our hearts. And, Lord Jesus, as we consider communion, and what you've done for us. God, I pray that you would work powerfully in the hearts and lives of everyone in this room, of everyone who's watching this right now. Lord, who's taking this seriously, who's taking this as an opportunity, Lord, for you to work in their life. I pray that you would comfort them by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would work miraculous things in their life by your word. And thank you again so much, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.